Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us each Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you, sir? Thank God. Friend We're of here. Yeah, <laughs> we should thank God just for that. You're 100% right. Friend of mine sends me the following, and I thought it was a good point. I'd love your reaction to it. Uh, the President of the United States spoke at Hiroshima just a few days ago, and, uh, quote, he said, we can stop the spread, he was referring to nuclear weapons, we can stop the spread to new nations and secure deadly materials from fanatics. Now, when you hear the President of the United States make a statement like that in terms of the potential of uh, eliminating nukes, um, doesn't it surprise you that it's coming from someone who just was so enthusiastic about giving the... uh, uh, the country of Iran, the, the further capability because of the Iran deal to develop nuclear weapons? Well, his argument would be that they have, were able to remove a lot of the enriched uranium and that they were able to reduce and close the, the uh, heavy water reactors and reduce the capability. I think the, the, the words of Khamenei last week, this week actually, um, speak very clearly to it, where he, he talks about how they forced the world powers to negotiate a deal after they saw Iran's might. He said that they started off demanding that there not be once the existence of even one centrifuge in Iran, that's the exact quote, and now was forced to accept the same fact after facing the country's nuclear power. Um, they said America didn't make this concession. We took it in light of our own power. And he said, we, we enriched to 20%, we built 19,000 centrifuges, the production of second, third, and fourth generation centrifuges, and a heavy water plant, etc. He doesn't say what they, were, what they closed down, but what we saw further was the report of the International Atomic Energy Agency, which was supposed to be given you know, clear accessibility, availability of, uh, uh, of all of the, to the, all of the facilities, and the fact is that the report lacks the details about the critical implementation issues. It makes, um, and while it says that in general Iran was living up to the commitments, there are so many questions in which the experts, some of whom were, were not opposed to, to, the, to the deal, says they say that, that even earlier reports gave greater detail. They don't talk about what access they got. It simply says Iran has the enrichment of UF-6 etc. et cetera. I don't want to go into the technical details that people will, you know, their eyes glaze over, but those things are significant because that is the measure by which you know whether Iran is actually living up to the deal. And they don't, it doesn't say whether the centrifuges of Fordo have been removed as required. Um, it doesn't say how many uh, centrifuges are enriching at Natanz. Uh, it is not doesn't give the information about the amount of 20% uh, LEU that remains in Iran. And one of the big questions is about the, the heavy water, which is essential in, in making uh, plutonium for bombs, that, the, that we're going to purchase from Iran its excess, because they're only supposed to have up to, I think, 35 or 40, uh, uh, um, uh, t- 32 tons that the United States is going to buy in order as part of 50 tons that they're sending out. And we're buying it from Iran. Rather than telling Iran, you can't produce it, you've got to stop, you can't exceed the 130 metric tons, which was the cap uh, for the reporting period, 
um, and they didn't perhaps surpass the cap, but in order for them not to, we're buying it from them. And they have stored in Oman uh, 50 tons of this. So the question is, who owns it? If, if, if they own it, then it should count to the cap, and then they're over. So there were many, many issues. I won't go through all of them, but, but you know, there who, are pages of the questions that were not answered who are, who are your, in this report. Who are your allies on this? Who, who in Washington is, you know, as angry as you are about this and demanding more real details about what's there and what's not there? The experts are. You know, people, uh, I saw that David Albright was former inspector, Andrea Stricker, many others. And, and the members of Congress, you know, that the House of Representatives voted 250-something to 168 uh, this week to bar the U.S. government from further purchase of heavy water from Iran. And, um, and, and that's only one expression. There are other pieces of legislation that are going through in order to assure compliance um, to, by, the, um, by Iran. Um, and by the way, you know that that the Iran deal is still hitting the banking snags, the 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 restrictions, both from U.S. banks because of the existing sanctions. And there is now in Congress uh, the renewal of the Iran Sanctions Act, which is very important because that a gives the snapback provision any any substance if it in fact could be real at all. That would be the basis on which it, it would take place. And we're seeing that the, the activities of Iran, you know, the supposed strengthening of moderates, and everybody agrees today, yeah. and even those who are the biggest proponents agree that Rouhani is not a moderate, that, that the, um, uh, the regime has taken no steps, if anything, uh, gone much worse. And now we see that they're building a missile base in, the, in uh, a place called Sayyid Sadak, which is in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan the biggest base they have, an uh, IRGC base, and a missile base. Now, some people have said they didn't, but, but they've been seen. The leaders like Soumaani and the heads of the IRGC are there, hel- Iranian helicopters circling around it all the time. This will be a forward base for them for the control of Iran, which is their goal. They do not want to have a situation again where they were able to go back, so they're going to denude Iran of control and make sure that there's this radical Shiite government in place there. So, the, the, and they're saying that this is to protect the religious borders of Iran on foreign grounds. I don't know how these moderates change so quickly in just a few months. My gosh. Um, exactly. Khamenei's uh, um, statements, this is just you know beating Iran's chest and trying to win the propaganda war within his own country, I assume, right? Right. That's the way right. it is. And you always but, ha- yeah, but take his word seriously, because he means it. This is how he perceives it. And they perceive the, them, themselves as having had a victory in this regard. Right, and you always remind us you have to remember who the audience is when someone speaks like that, and that's who he's uh, tailoring it to. So. Yeah, but it's also a regional audience, and the rest of the region looks at this and said, what, what have we done? What, what have we really cut back? Their capacity remains, so it'll take 10 years when, when the, the restrictions are lifted, or five years with the conventional weapons, eight years on the missiles. And in the meantime, they're developing all this capacity. I just wonder what Washington thinks, and you know those who are so pro the Iran deal today. How do they feel when they hear when they hear Iran declare victory, so to speak? Well, the people in the region are, in any event, uh, very disaffected and, and feel that that Iran is getting away with everything, including missile tests and et cetera, with no additional price to be paid. The United States has imposed a few extra sanctions. Uh, Hezbollah sanctions remain others. But but the impression, the perception, which is really what is key, is that um, 
that Iran is getting away with it. Right. Um, did you see this thing that the 73% of stabbers in these latest terror wave over the last year or two have Israeli IDs? I'm wondering, is that, a, is that unusual? I mean, if, if we would go back to, you know, to the intifadas and the terror attacks that unfortunately you know, uh, were, were coming at uh, the people of Israel in, in, you know, in such large measure, w- would the statistic be around the same or 73% you know, much higher than what we you know, saw years ago? Well, it is higher, uh, and many of these are people who moved uh, and married people in West Bank or elsewhere, or in Israeli in Israel itself, which is part of the problem because there's a you know a large number, many tens of thousands, who came to the Galil and other areas, um, largely from uh, Jordan and the West Bank, and they married people, and then they get Israeli citizenship and they settle, and you know the population imbalance in in the Galil is a reflection of that. The 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 seventy three percent though I think is a high number I mean it's certainly a significant number I mean I, I assume the point not the point but one of the conclusions we can draw is that for obvious reasons it's easier for those with Israeli ID to carry out these attacks especially of course, they in can central move, they right can obviously go into areas that the so, so, so the numbers bear it out they, they bear out not just the statistic but they bear out how difficult it is for authorities and uh, security personnel to deal with this whole situation. Right. Um, by the way, back to Iran for a second. So the, I saw on Ynet, it says Iran is, according to the State Department, according to the United States State Department, Iran is the world's top state sponsor of terrorism. And that's why it is, it is sometimes, I don't want to say comical, but it is, it is absurd sometimes when you think of this Iran deal and then out of Washington, you hear an admission that Iran is the world's top state sponsor of terrorism and ISIS it was designated as the greatest threat globally, according to the U.S. State Department's annual report on global terrorist activity. Last year, 28,000 people were killed in over 11,000 attacks in 92 countries, 13% decrease compared to figures in 2014. And, and they are attributing the majority, whatever that means, you know, the highest percentage, to, to you know, heading back to Iran, showing that they are sponsors of these terror attacks. They're number one, Malcolm. Well, we knew that. And I know, but the state we ran a conference this week about Iran beyond the nuclear issues because we're trying to get people to focus on the violation of human rights, the aggressive behavior, the efforts to undermine regimes, their support for terrorism. I mean, remember Hamas, Hezbollah, they just announced that they were back putting uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad back on the payroll. They, they, uh, their activities, and, and one of the presentations, which I've discussed here on the air a long time okay. ago, and, and years ago said that South America is the new front. Right. He says now that there are 40 to 50,000 Iranian agents operating in South America. And when you hear the extent of, of their activity, and a report will come out in the coming days about the murder of Nisman and how that ties into Iran's network within Iran, uh, within Argentina and the bombings of the Amiya, etc. That'll be out by next Friday? I hope it'll be out by next. He hopes it was just the, with legal issues that were uh, holding it up. Oh, that, that legal review. That'll be big. And by the way, whoever releases it, they better have a lot of security around them. He's an amazing guy. He's not Jewish. He's a, a South American, a remarkable man. And unfortunately, you know, administration and others, they don't pay attention to him. Thank God the members of Congress have had him. But he, he has warned for years about and and has hard and fast document. He's a scholar. He studies this. Uh, he's not a propagandist. And when he tells the story of, of where's uh, Iran and, and its influence in a network, uh, the global network, yeah, I'm including not, in the United States, I'm not Canada. Jo- I'm not joking about the security. 
No, I, I'm, that's not a joke at all. Yeah, when we look at global terror, if you take away Iran, so many of the problems would would resolve. Uh, Hezbollah, the, the, the Gaza situation would change dramatically. Look at, let, 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 me, let, let me read these two. Let me read Sinai. these. On your point, let me read these two short paragraphs. I'm so frustrated by this issue today. Despite signing a nuclear deal with Tehran and lifting sanctions, the U.S. accuses Iran of continuing to supply arms and funds to terrorist organizations around the world, including Hezbollah in Lebanon. That's number one. You just made that point. Last January, after having signed the nuclear deal with Iran, U.S. Secretary of State Kerry admitted that some of the money would, quote, end up in the hands of the IRGC, Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, or other entities, some of which are labeled terrorists. I mean, what we are facilitating for the world's number one sponsor of terrorism, according to the United States State Department, is, is, is overwhelming. It's unbelievable we are, what we are allowing them to get away with. But it's very believable, and that is part of the reason... What I said before about the perception, uh, even if it's it, 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 one can put aside the reality, but perception becomes reality, and the perception is that here is Iran working to undermine Saudi Arabia, working in, in every area, undermining every regime in, in the area, controlling today Baghdad, controlling Damascus and Beirut and, and Sana'a in Yemen, right. and uh, through proxies and directly. <laughs> That's why what I reported about the missile base is so important because it's an attempt to, for them to extend their borders, their their military borders and operational field, and we're facilitating it in ways. You know, we're in a conflict situation, but yep. it's an internal conflict because on one hand we want to fight ISIS and with them, and the other hand we don't want to give them control in Iraq, in Raqqa or or in Fallujah. We're facing these this, these immediate problems and. You see Soleimani going into Iraq and, and um, mobilizing the, the Iraqi Shiite militias, who are extreme radical groups, and, uh, to, 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 and Iran is supporting them and aiding them to be in the forefront of this in order to extend their, their influence. It's unbelievable. Oh, we'll get to the top of the hour in a second. I just want to mention on, on the topic of policy coming out of the United States, President Obama has, in fact, again, used the six-month postponement for the move of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, right? That became official this week? Yeah, but that's more or less automatic. Yeah. Uh, Since 1999. This has been happening for a long time already. 1995. 1995, wow. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us. Don't forget our parade coverage. Sunday, 11 a.m. it starts. We'll go all the way until 4 o'clock. Pray for good weather, everybody, and come and celebrate Israel on the streets of New York City, up Fifth Avenue. Uh, I don't think we could, say, we could emphasize it anymore, Malcolm. Everybody out there, rain or shine, should be there and should show support for Israel uh, you know, the as everything that's going on, including the BDS movement and so many other things that are happening that we discuss each and every week, there is no better way to show support than to physically be there and to voice our uh, our our support and our joy in being supporters of Israel. And I know you'll be there on Sunday. Absolutely. There you go. And by the way, it's Yom Yerushalayim on Sunday, 49th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. How do you like that? I'll be participating via live hookup with the celebration that will be at America's Arab with the Prime Minister and others that Yudha uh, Zaretsky has organized, Bridges of Gold, and we will uh, uh, have a chance to link 
for this celebration, and which will launch the build-up to the 50th anniversary of the unification. And I hope everybody, all those who talk about Jerusalem, who care about this, to be not only to participate, but also to join in the efforts to, to plan for massive celebration, to reclaim Jerusalem, to put the lie to the UNESCO, and as I say, take the D out of BDS. Yeah. And we can. We and can. we can beat it, and we can, and we will win, ultimately. But everybody will be held to account for what they do and don't do. Hey, in May of 2017, we hopefully are going to be broadcasting there for that week for the 50th anniversary. I hope you make time for us, Mr. Honline. Oh, 100%. Fit us into the schedule somehow, <laughs> I beg you, on the topic of Jerusalem. So two issues. Number one, um, you're familiar with the fact that uh, Yehuda Glick, who's now a member of Knesset and who uh, liked to frequent, likes to frequent the Temple Mount, God bless him, uh, now is not allowed to go up there because of the rule that the Prime Minister has asked him to follow in terms of uh, members of the Parliament, that he's, he's now a member of the Parliament, member of Knesset, uh, shouldn't go up there. Uh, Ramadan starts Tuesday. Uh, do you think that um, Arab MKs are going to adhere to the Prime Minister's request? Well, they adhere to very few of the requests and even to many of the laws. And the um, so I, I can't predict what what they will or will not do. Yehuda Glick did announce that he would adhere to it. Right. And today he even said that, uh, praised the prime minister and saying that he's basically with the settlers and um, gave it a positive uh, uh, spin. But... Um, we can't tell what uh, what they're going to do ever. And I wasn't even aware of the fact, and again, good to focus today on this for a minute because Yom Yerushalayim is uh, Sunday, tomorrow night. I was not even aware of the fact that the construction problem, the, the construction problem that has led to the, to the destruction of so many precious artifacts, no doubt, is still going on on, on Harabite, on the Temple Mount. I, I didn't even realize that this was an issue that was still uh, you know, out of control, so to speak. We had an incident this week where the Waqf, which is the religious trust, who, who, have, um, who govern, uh, govern the place or, or watch the place, it's uh, actually under Jordanian, supposed to be under Jordanian control. Right. Um, they started destroying again archaeologically important, I mean, sacred territory on the on the Harabites, on the Temple Mount, to build bathrooms. Because, you know, with Ramadan starting, so you have a lot more people. And right. Israel offered to, to put up uh, portable uh, toilets, and instead they started the, con- the construction, which is destruction, again, and they, they, um, there was protests about it, and they tried, the city stopped it, the council passed a resolution, etc., to, to, uh, to stop it. And uh, so, yes, they, they, they don't stop any time, and it includes the, the political maneuvers about the claim to Jerusalem, etc., and by the way, uh, you know, Mayor Barkat gave a, a tough speech, which uh, in, uh, over uh, yesterday, where he said that um, he praised the people for coping with the terror, but he accused the government of uh, of freezing construction in Jerusalem, which is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And you have an out migration of Jews, even though the Jewish birth rate has gone up and surpasses, by the way, the Arab birth rate in Jerusalem, but the percentage of population is Jewish is going down because people can't find housing and the um, and there is there is a freeze in, in Jewish areas while we see a lot of construction often in the in the Arab areas this is becoming a big political issue and I assume that the real estate prices in the Jewish areas are much higher than in the Arab areas much higher I would guess um, uh, uh, the 
we know about countries that have citizens that, you know, a certain percentage of their citizens that have a desire to join ISIS. The, the Arab-Israeli population, is, there, is, is, is it starting to become an epidemic that more and more of them are defecting and heading to uh, join ISIS? No, it's not an epidemic. I think that there are currently, if I'm not mistaken, 36 people, uh, 36 is Israeli Arabs who, who are fighting there. There have been a number who have been arrested who try to come back. Um, so it is still a relatively small percentage, but the question is, what is the percentage of support it is higher? And, uh, but it's certainly not uh, you know, a majority or, or anything close to that. Uh, there's a peace conference convening. Uh, it's called the peace conference, I think, right? Convening in Paris today? Is that what they're yeah. calling it? Well, yeah, they're certainly calling it a lot of things. Now, the problem there. is <laughs> the problem is that the <laughs> two primary peace partners aren't there. <laughs> well, they weren't invited. And, we, we, and people should know that it's not a boycott by Israel. Because right. people said to me, why is Israel boycotting the conference? And they said they're, they're excluded from it. Right. And, and part of the problem you have with this, you know, it always sounds good when people say, well, you need a peace process and stuff. And, and uh, Hollande and his remarks at the conference at the opening it uh, sort of indicated that the uh, you know the parties aren't capable and it's it's disruptive of the of the region and and promotes terror i mean did they ever look at the terrorism inside france and the fact that half his army is deployed inside france and the the challenge and whether he's doing this to placate the muslim population to be relevant to to you know play a key role it, it isn't clear but um, this can be very mischievous because it again gives the, the PA and Abbas in particular the excuse not to negotiate with uh, with the Prime Minister and not to sit down with Israel to talk because they feel the international community will build up pressure, which is what they're always trying to do, and um, uh, and to um, you know equate responsibility at the very least, but yeah. but. Everybody knows that the bulk of the pressure will be placed only on Israel. It's not going to be placed uh, on the Palestinians. That, that's why he's welcomed President Sisi's uh, initiative and said that's you know a, a better path than than the Europeans coming in uh, because it, it it tries to impose terms openly or or you know more camouflaged. But the fact that's the the end, and that's why they don't have to compromise. That's why they don't have to negotiate. So there there's. Um, it's an attempt, again, to dictate a solution from the outside. It hasn't worked for the last hundred years, and it's not going to work now. But that's why they get 26 countries to be represented. You can get countries, you know, they'll come there because people, you know, are afraid that they, won't, they don't want to be left out of it, and they're invited to this, uh, you know, to come to Paris and have a good time. Um, but, you know, there is no record in the United States is there, even though the United States has expressed the reservations and initially didn't want to. Um, but they're saying, France will say, well, and the French officials told me, this is not to replace direct negotiations. We're trying to encourage it. We're trying to set the tone and have all of these countries there say that they will be supportive of direct talks. Well, if, if Egypt, that is a neighbor and has a big stake in it, w- would be enough to, to get the talks if the Palestinians really wanted to to get going. Yeah. The answer is that this is, again, their attempt to, to avoid responsibility. Abbas said this week he'll be more than happy to talk with the brand new Defense Minister Lieberman if he's for a two-state solution. I don't know what Lieberman has to say or not say in order to get that meeting going, but um, 
it's hard to believe Abbas <laughs> at this stage that he's ready to sit down with anybody on the Israeli side. I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, they, they've learned to play the game, the PR game. Somebody obviously tells them, you know, reach out, do these things. Make this statement, and, right. And make this statement, you know, because it always shifts the onus, and he, he keeps dumping on Israel the responsibility when, if you look at how many offers, how many times has the Prime Minister said, my office is open, I'll cancel everything, I'm ready to come, we're not far apart, you know, distant uh, from each other. And uh, and his own internal situation, he does not want to face an election because, you know, he's in his 11th year of a four-year term. He, he knows that Hamas would likely beat him, and certainly that they want to get rid of him. And he keeps saying he's old, he's tired, he wants to get out. Well, maybe this time, always the argument is that he's better than the alternatives. At some point, he's not. Yeah. And, you know, they, they got to either stand up and lead the, give the Palestinians some leadership that that takes them away from keep from praising the killers of Jews and the, and in uh, the incitement that the official incitement that comes and um, and take on responsibility start rebuilding the economy there they'll find plenty of allies in Israel and elsewhere to start changing the situation if they have responsible people to do it with how's the uh, transition gone by the way the new Israeli government everything okay during the first week everything went smoothly well, first, there's been no shootings, and everybody seems to have gotten over the initial uh, transition. So, so far, so good. As they I mean, say. People are saying they'll work with uh, Lieberman, and Lieberman's very smart, I guess, in a way, and he will handle it uh, smart. We'll have to see when the first tests come. Did we Did we even discuss last week, I, I honestly just don't even remember anymore, um, the, the, the advantage, if there is any, to the fact that he speaks Russian, Lieberman, and that might help the uh, relationship between Israel and Putin, or is that a non-factor? Well, it's not his Russian speaking. The fact is that he does supposedly have a, a close relationship with uh, Putin. Uh, that always helps, of course. Russia is still a player right. uh, in the region, more more in the region than it was in the past, less on the international scene because its its economy is in ruins. The country itself is facing very serious challenges, both internally and externally. Um, the um, uh, but Putin has taken advantage of of the situation. He moves in where he sees weakness. He takes advantage of the vacuum. Uh, has positioned himself brilliantly in in Syria with a minimal in investment, is increasing the footprint throughout the, the region. So the relationship there. But Bibi has a good relationship with Putin. They, they do talk. And uh, Putin once told me that, that he told Arafat even that if you attack Israel, you attack Russia. I have a million citizens there, and my, you know I'm going to be there to protect them. Wow. Well, we don't know. You know They still sold the S-300 to Iran, and they've done, they're yeah. doing other things. But... Um, but uh, well, as we've seen in the Syria, remember all the fear about what will happen with the planes and Israeli ability to maneuver. Yeah, they worked it out. It's unbelievable. Maybe he thinks it's worth the risk because of the money that he gets from Iran. <laughs> well, he's, he's no, that's not. Uh, I know you, you may be joking, but it's not. Well, it's, I'm not it's, joking. I'm saying no, it's a real fact. Right. I'm saying. Him, I'm a saying that dollars that coming that he, in, and you know, they right, and, and, cut of everything. And he's probably thinking <laughs> that the <laughs> risk. It's a personal interest. He's probably thinking that the risk. Of Israel, of of Iran actually attacking Israel is so minimal that you know it's worthwhile for him to make these business deals. That's what I would think, unless he's just you know. But but the reverse is is the critical thing, and if the S three hundred limits Israel's ability or anybody's ability 
because it is a very effective system, but we don't know if it's operational. You know, they delayed and delayed. We don't know if all the parts are actually there. The fact that they sent the missiles doesn't mean the system is is actually deployed yet. So they can. there are a lot of ways that they can help uh, delay that. Uh, but he wanted the money, and, and uh, he got it. Uh, yes, he did. The, uh, the rumor is that uh, Donald Trump is going to head to Israel before the... Convention. Convention. What does this tell us about the uh, Jewish vote role in this upcoming election? I know you don't like talking about this election, but there has to be. I mean, if he would in fact make this move, it, it has to tell us something about the influence of the Jewish vote in certain states in this country. It does, and I think uh, you know he has an interest in in showing that he has some foreign policy exposure. Um, I don't know whether pundits will say it's wise or not wise to do it, especially before the convention or even before the election. Uh, and is it, does he visit only Israel? What about the Jordan or other countries there? Or does he visit, you know, there used to be, uh, they used to talk of the three eyes. Right. The Ireland, Italy, had to go to Ireland, Italy, and Israel. I thought that's for mayor of New York. <laughs> that, that, well, yeah, but it's, it, it was more expansive. But, but the... Uh, Look, the fact is that Jews are in strategically important states where we have the largest concentration, even though overall our numbers are, are small. Could you, are the, could you remind our listeners that none of them can ever come out against the Electoral College? It is what continues to make the Jewish vote important and influential in this country. If we switch, The old saw was that they, God gave oil to the Arabs and the Electoral College to the Jews. Exactly. So it's, it is very important because of the, the voice it gives to minorities, that it, yeah. and it is the blessing of America that Jews can count. We see in Europe how governments often uh, count out to the much larger Muslim populations, which in most countries outnumbers Jews 10 to 1, um, and that here that we are given the opportunity. And the question is, do we take advantage of it? Do people participate sufficiently in it? And, you know, we have such a long history of, of uh, you know, where we lived at the sufferance of others. You know, this week I participated in the 75th anniversary of the Farhud in Iraq, where, you know, 100 Jews were killed uh, 75 years ago uh, in, in Baghdad and elsewhere, and thousands were injured, their property looted, their homes burnt. And the government, in an investigation, said it was the Hajj al-Amin al-Husseini, whom you will identify as the Mufti. Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, right. and the uncle of Arafat, and the Nazi Arabs, mm. Nazi-leaning Arabs, you know, mm. that there was great support for uh, Nazis in, in Iraq, as there was in Iran. Iran changed its name from Persia to Iran in identification with the Nazis. But the... Um, uh, in 1939, the Nazi fervor was explosive in, in Iraq. Uh, I- Iraq was the top Nazi ally in the, in the Arab world. But this manifestation, this was not what happened after 1948, when, of course, and, and uh, later on in the decades afterwards, when the Jews were essentially driven out. 1969, you had uh, hangings of, uh, of Jews and academics, uh, Jewish academics and others. But this is, uh, you know, 1941. And people don't know this dimension because everybody thinks that the Holocaust only took place and the, the, the dynamic was all European-centered. But, it, you know, and there were camps in Morocco and Tunisia. We know that the, about the Nazi sympathizers and the role 
uh, and some conscripts it was the, the um, Grand Mufti headed a, a very vicious brigade. I think they were based in Bosnia, a Muslim brigade that um, was considered one of the most ruthless in, in during the war. Boy, oh boy. So many pieces of our history that have been so devastating. We have to especially, I mean, I know that the big celebration is happening Sunday in New York. I, I but we sometimes just have to understand and, and realize the miracle that we're living in right now. 49 years, reunification of Jerusalem, the incredible miracle of the state of Israel, the incredible safety for Jews around the world provided by the IDF and the state of Israel, all in light of the hundreds and thousands of years of episodes like the one you just spoke about. And it's, Edwin Black has worked hard to, we wrote a book about it and, you know, helped foster the remembrance. We had a session at the UN about it last year and, you know, but, but, even this, which is within the lifetime of many of the people, many people, um, is virtually forgotten. So when we have a chance to celebrate, we should. You know, they said Simcha is the hardest uh, uh, mitzvah to fulfill of, of infusing joy, especially when we come to a three-day yontif, everybody complains. And rather than saying, what a great opportunity, look at this celebration, be with family to to celebrate Judaism, to remember what happened at Har Sinai, to, to strengthen us. The BDS is losing. They're not affecting Israel's economy. It's $3 billion in investment last year. It's increasing every year. Where they're winning, I think, mostly is in, in dissuading Jews, young Jews especially, from speaking yeah. up and being yeah. proud and being able to tell the truth about Israel. That's our strongest weapon. And, and our case is, is so overwhelming. And you look at the real miracles that Israel represents. Look at the 8 million people in one place, just 75% of them Jews, and the, a great democracy and with all the tsarism, with all of the little petty things that, that we talk about. The, the truth is that it's unbelievable. And more discoveries all the time, you know, that they found now new documents, uh, in, and they're protecting them in the caves because they were being looted. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and related stuff, all the time new things being uncovered and discovered that should just strengthen us and be re remind us of it, of hey, the past. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're 100% right. I just want to remind everybody as you're saying all this that we're going to be celebrating Jerusalem on Monday. Yom Yerushalayim is Sunday. We're going to celebrate here Monday both Yom Yerushalayim and Yom Chevron, as you just said, an opportunity to celebrate, to recognize the miracle, and be part of a an international Jewish celebration. It, it, the point you're making on the BDS thing is so important. We got to give our kids and grandchildren a reason, a reason. Show them how incredible it is to be a supporter of Israel and to enjoy what Israel has to offer. And uh, it's such an important message. And I hope we can get that across to everybody. It's, and and over and over again, and in our schools and in yeah. other places, and. And what we should do is explain to them the context in which this BDS takes place, that it's, it's a small group relatively on, on most of the campuses. It's becoming more and more virulent. We see much more outward uh, uh, public manifestations of anti-Semitism, which is the core of this. This is not about policies. You can criticize policies of Israel and, and uh, if it's on legitimate grounds. That's not what this is about. This is about Israel's right to exist, about the right to the state to exist, and when we take it for granted and we don't stand up for Yerushalayim, this has been the, the Achilles heel of the Jewish people, that whenever our enemies wanted to attack us, they would attack Jerusalem. They would tell us, look, you lost Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem, and, and now we have it in a rebuilt Jerusalem and how much we all love to go there and to celebrate it. 
That's why UNESCO. But, but the BDS movement traces itself to what happened when the, Ju- the Romans changed the name Judea to Philistia. Yeah. That was the first attempt at BDS to deny the legitimacy of the Jewish people and the Jewish claim. And it was true of Zionism racism. It was true of the Arab boycott in 47. I mean, there's a long history of this. It's, and we beat all of them, and we will beat this. It's not a 21st century invention. It's just uh, reusing old methods of the past. Simple as that. Uh, people, the Shabbos, will talk to their kids and talk to it with their families, and, uh, and rabbis will talk about it. How many places have a Yom Yerushalayim celebration? Yep. It's a tragedy. Yep, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, Malcolm, we'll see you Sunday. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. How many places have Yom Yerushalayim celebrations? How many shuls in our area will finish Mariv tomorrow night? And in addition to wishing everybody a Shavua Tov, we'll wish everybody a Chag Sameach. I'm not even saying you have to do anything. Ritually, you don't want to do anything on Yom Yerushalayim, but at least acknowledge the day, at least acknowledge that God performed one of the most amazing miracles when you think of the context of the last 2,000 years. Maybe that, maybe that, Shavua Tov and Chag Sameach.